Well, welcome back to an all-new installment of the Super Metal Brothers podcast, where we are all born treacherous. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Two more weeks to our birthday week, Danny. I'm getting excited. We can uh, talk about to later, maybe the uh, retro review we'll do for that week. We had a request, though, from Raiden. He wants to do a Sepultura song. He reckons the most pivotal song, and he's offended that the Super Metal Brothers haven't listened to this album in over a decade, so... Maybe we should think about that one for our uh, Super Metal Brothers uh, retro review. I think we can arise to that challenge. Ooh, but what about some more news? Demi Borgia have released their album, Ionian. This has been uh, in the talks. I think it's been a fair while between drinks for the band. They've been out of the loop uh, since their, I think, Abrahadabra release. But they've released a new album with much of a polarizing opinion. A lot of people saying it's some of their best work. And some saying they're worse. What do we have to say about it, Danny? Well, I guess we can wait till later on in the show. Oh, definitely right. I can understand why they're taking so long because the amount of choir work involved, trying to like, <laughs> you know, how hard it is to organize four people to come to one place at one time? Oh. Maybe trying to organize like a choir, like every bloody song to come to like the same recording studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a problem. And we're also talking about how we fell in love or first got to meet our favorite uh, metal bands, much like a romantic comedy where the two people meet up in a, of all places, or maybe a VHS store or a, or a racist rally maybe perhaps. And all of a sudden from there, uh, the ignition lights, awkwardness in shoes and uh, meeting the in-laws before the final uh, product. So I'm guessing... We wanted to know from our fans how they stumbled across their first true love or last. Who knows? Yeah. It's quite a nice story, isn't it? They can make it like a Disney movie after these like stories, you know? I'm thinking so. You know, I've got mine in my back pocket, which won't come too much as a surprise, but maybe the story will. Maybe they'll be charmed by it or bored. Hey, we are the Super Metal Brothers. <laughs> Fair play. And with that, let's head over to the news. Well, straight off the bat, we've got our metal head of the week and our douchebag of the week all in the same article, Danny. Oh, that's, that's easy for us, man. <laughs> Let's research. Um, two Native American brothers, uh, they were touring a college in uh, the States and one of the parents there, because they were trying to basically suss out the school, see if it was for them. Now, the first thing was they were a bit late to it. They got on the yeah, bus. But, but by sussing out the school for them, it's all positive stuff. Like, sussing if they want to study there, man. Yeah, exactly. Not like sussing scoping their joints. Mm, yeah, exactly. What dorms can we what, break what, into what, tonight? Where are the mm. exits and how can we block them, you know? Um, <laughs> none of that stuff. These poor kids were like, you know, they want to better their lives and their futures. So, they thought going to an American school would help them out. Well, how wrong they'd find themselves. Not only were they late getting there, but the two brothers there, one wearing an arch for your shirt yeah, and the cool. other wearing a capital decapitation shirt. Yeah, so, nice. these brothers have fantastic taste in musical selection, right? They've also got... Uh, but they got, as good as their taste are for music, bad they are for the college. They were reported for suspicious behavior by one of the parents, Danny. Yeah, to be fair, they were asking for it. One, they were late. I mean, straight away, you know they're terrible people. Exactly. Two, Native Americans. Straight away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going by the American culture. For American culture, oh, you can't be Native American in college. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, three, metal shirts. Again, very aggressive people. Right. And probably the fourth one, which is the most offensive yeah. and most egregious. And the reason why the, the t- uh, parent picked on them is because they're very quiet. Yeah, that's right. Very, very, ooh. And, and mm, everyone mm. knows that Satan resides in the shyness. Really, they those kids should have known better. I mean, being dark-skinned, Analyst and wearing black metal shirts, why don't you just go there as a KKK rally? I mean, right. ass metal sucks, man. All you need to do is listen to an extreme metal music and you are evil. Yeah. You are the spawn of Satan, even though they, I don't even know if they know what they're talking about. But um, these kids, though, the bands caught wind of it. 
want to offer them free tickets. So yeah, the band's no better. It's just. You know, it's just society, racial man. profiling, you know, and these, the mum came out to the defense of these kids and so she should have, man. Yeah. They were completely um, blindsided here and who would have thought just being yourself was enough to get on the uh, America's Most Wanted hit list, man? All right. I mean, and these kids didn't even look threatening. Like They looked like normal 70-year-old kids, like normal size, even a little bit chubby with a bowl haircut. Yeah. It's like... They literally had nothing yeah, aggressive they, they about They weren't carrying them. like a clock or anything where it <laughs> even looks half suspicious. Where like, oh, like you know. a trench coat, you think they're going to start flashing people. What's, yeah, what's, that, that? what's that ticking in your bag, you know? That's <laughs> well, oh, you know, good luck to these guys. Enjoy your free tickets to your Archfears, um shows and just keep rocking metal, even if the parents don't want you to. Uh, Volbeat, there was an article saying the unlikely, inside the unlikely rise of the people's band. Now, Unlikely is interesting. We've reviewed these guys before on the show. Uh, Sealed the Deal and Let's Boogie was the album we talked about. Uh, as soon as you listen to it, you really get the wide, uh, wide appeal of this album. Like These guys write very much to be radio-friendly, incredibly happy, incredibly catchy, and um, it's charismatic all at the same time. So, though he did talk about the, the lead guitarist here, Rob uh, Caggiano, about him playing in pubs and that all the way now to supporting Metallica. You know, that they've turned the hard yards. It's easy to see why these guys made it. Yeah, no, definitely right. And they got a unique sound. Being from like Denmark, I didn't think they're from Denmark. The lead singer has like a Southern American twang to his yeah. voice. I thought they were like a band from Texas or something, which again probably helps with the appeal. And Cagliano really gives it that whole like uh, Ameri- Italian American vibe where, you know, he's got like a pizza block where there's really oversized pizzas and stuff like that. And uh, always say, oh, Ma, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, like a New Yorker, dude. <laughs> yeah, like a New Yorker. Yo, man, I'm just trying to like, play some music here, man. Yeah. So maybe that was the appeal is that he he managed to to market himself to Americans without even being American. Yeah. That's a fairly good try. Because if Americans love anything else more than the world, then their country is themselves. Yeah. So why not just try being American and bang, you're in. Yeah, yeah. no, that's clever. Marketing 101, mate. What about Anvil? Uh, they sl- slamming uh, the frontman JJ French. We're talking about the... Uh, the guy from Anvil, I'm guessing it's the lead guitarist singer. What's uh, the name? Lips from Anvil. Yeah, that's again, right. Attacking JJ French with Twister Sister. Yeah, now we talked about Twister Sisters, JJ French, a couple of weeks ago. He had a couple of strong opinions about the world. And uh, Anvil Hill's frontman has a couple of uh, opinions about the guy who made those opinions. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, there's a very foolish man who's looking for attention, plain and simple. He knows Jay personally. Great guy, really funny, comical, good, and a nice character, though. So he's kind of you know, redeeming himself, too. He knows the guy is out for outbursts. Could we have another Gene after Gene goes away, Danny? Oh, he's only said one thing currently. So he's, he's attacked, you know, Jewish Priest and Sax have been cover bands. So yeah. he's only said one thing. So I can't, we can't Gene him yet. Yeah, well, I don't think we can either because I think what he said was actually fair. I mean, there are no original members in the band. There, The members in it now uh, have, although they have done other songs, it's it's a, it's a fair joke to play. Like, you know, it's, he's not like wishing bad evil will to the band. He's just saying that, you know, there are no current members and is that still the same band and we did talk about this in our show a couple of weeks ago and I can see the point yeah I like the Anvil guys like uh, not attacking nature but you know yeah let's say a bit of their version of being aggressive because he's Canadian that's how aggressive they get like oh, I'm not saying he's like bad just you know if he could like just try trade, trade Try to change the way he says things. Yeah. Be very nice. So full Canadian man can't get full angry. At That's people. right. It's like he's like the really nice mum who's just who's just the nice single mum who's trying to get her seventeen kids together and just like <laughs> yeah. look. It's not that I don't want to be a bad parent in front of you. It's just that I need to do the right thing, or else mummy's going to go to prison <laughs> for suspected you know assisting terrorism. You know, yeah. Like, Isn't what the boss is to tell him. You know, you're a shit kid. 
if your dad was here, which is not, he would like kick you in the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to hold like all the wheels of the car on. Yeah, exactly. Struggling. Yeah. Now, I like Nina Strauss lately. She's been getting up to some really good things. She's been saying a lot of cool things that resonate with us. And this one here is another words of wisdom. We're talking about Alice Cooper's front guitarist, you know, um, blonde, looking, looking the part, playing the part. Now, she also says the part with why it is not enough to be a great guitarist to land a good gig anymore. Now, she goes on to say, no matter how much everyone wants to say, it should only be about your guitar playing and nothing else should matter. Unfortunately... Now that every nine single nine-year-old on YouTube can play mousing songs more perfect than she can, it's going to be the whole package. And I do agree. She goes to the gym and stuff. She obviously spends a lot of time um, for the presentation, not only physically, but also um, for her guitar work as well. And that's the thing. when We are entertainers, aren't we, Danny, with being musicians? So just being a singer, rocking up in your trackies and that, although you're hitting all those great notes, it needs to be something more because like you said, everyone now has the ability to get all the information they need to be the best player they can be, but what's going to separate you from the masses? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, let's look, unless you write the songs for the band, then okay, fine, you can be whoever you want to be. That's right. That's an example. If you're like a session music in a ring and like in neither um, case here, yeah, you got to offer something better, like great on-stage performance or maybe even help with songwriting. Uh, maybe you know people in the industry can help you out. So, yeah, the, the, it is very competitive now. She's great. You see some of these kids, man, who are like 10-year-old kids just like shredding. How? How can you be that good? I see like some four-year-old kids on YouTube who really play like Chopin on the piano. You're That's like, right. How are you doing this? That's, That's right. You can it. imagine like uh, in Asian communities where you have these kids growing up and oh, there's like seven of these kids playing guitars, like adult-sized guitars perfectly in time with each other. And you're like, this is, this is surreal. You know, the amount of dedication and sheer... Uh, pers- childhood. Yeah, persistence <laughs> on the cha- and the parents to pull them away from the PlayStation yeah, and p- yeah. and put a you know telecast in their hands is just it's phenomenal. You know, yeah. I know it's got who's got more dedication the parents or the kids to learn these songs. You uh, know, kids, are, it's not dedication when you're like forced to do it. I think that's true. <laughs> Everyone's favorite regime. Um, we want to get into now the Gene Simmons. He did say this. I think this is a repeat on an article we t- covered, or maybe just repackage. But Gene Simmons makes a statement that should anger every new band in existence, um, according to uh, where we pulled this from. Uh, we got here the quote, the business is dead, not for us, so we can continue to tour and the Rolling Stones can continue to play songs that everybody loves, so can Paul McCartney and stuff. But for a new band, it's dead. You have to give away your music for free because generations of fans have been trained shamefully not to pay for music. Um, download, file, share, view. I don't care what you call it. The truth is new bands don't have a chance. Now, we did kind of cover this over the last couple of months and we do see a problem of the internet not really catching up to the bands who are doing it. I feel like how are bands really getting paid when everyone's streaming their stuff for $10 a month for people to infinitely listen to whatever they want whereas when they bought your album, sure, it was 20 bucks, but it was your 20 bucks, and it was in your pocket. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, I think the metal community still kind of buys albums just yeah. going by the current aria charts number one on the aria chart is australia's own parkway drive so oh, loving it give them credit so i guess in the in the metal community they're probably still buying albums which is great uh, again i'm not sure how these new charts work so i think they start to incorporate streaming as part of the uh, charts uh like out of the formula to work out who's number one etc but you know keep buying stuff because why not i mean 20 bucks every now and then for your favorite band it's not that much money you know that is true. Um, we've talked about it so much now. It feels like beating a dead horse. But in order to give it a final kick, it really is, you know, there is a certain 
I guess, uh, place in that moment and time, like you said, where people are just so complacent and so smart now. They can, they, like, when you get older, I find that a lot of people now can find ways of getting it for free. And for them, it's like they're saving a buck and they're keeping it in their pocket so they can buy furniture or f- whatever, food or something. But something, someone's going to miss out on it. And uh, I would really like to hope that maybe these bands, um, it really catches up and they start getting paid what they're due. But um, simply put, yeah, buy their merch, buy their CDs, and hopefully your band will come see you in your country. Obviously not Adelaide, but, you know, somewhere where, they <laughs> where there's a stage. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. What about the Butcher Babies, Dan? Playing acoustic sets at Cal- Carolina's Rebellion Festival. Now, they're not wearing any nipple tape for those people who already asked. Mostly yeah, me. That's long gone now. Now, this was an acoustic set from songs off their latest release. Uh, I think it's Lilith, their latest release, Danny. I can't remember. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Now, we reviewed the album, and we think it's okay. There are some high points. There are some low points. Is there singing, now that you've heard it, Unstripped Danny, and there's songs now without the distortion and stuff, are they still now a little better for you? Are they more you understand them, or are they just worse? What, or what is it now that you've heard them live acoustically? Yeah, I just hear this live. I just keep skipping like 36 heads, yeah. bits by bits. I don't want to hear the whole 13-minute yeah. thing. I'm not that much of a fan. Anyway, yeah, hearing the acoustic stuff, yeah, the singing was a little bit pitchy, I thought. I don't think it was like as smooth. I mean, when you're on albums, overly produced, so every note you can like re-sync to get it perfectly. Yeah. But live, they were, they were a little bit pitchy at times. Sometimes it was quite nice, so it's a bit of hit and miss. Again, made the recording shit because I don't know how they recorded it. Some of those songs, man, are such a high register, man. Like, I didn't realize how incredibly, like, thing. And when they're trying to do that live, it's, especially with an acoustic setting, that's the problem. The it, problem that it's, they, I think they, I think they chose the wrong songs to do for this set list, Danny. Well, yeah, because they're still doing like growls and screams in the acoustic set. Like you can't do that because there's no other distortion at all. You go a guy playing guitar, acoustic guitar. I think maybe slight drum work in the background. Yeah, it was just a snare, no, wasn't nothing it? Nothing much. But you can't do screams and growls in the acoustic set. That's the point of an acoustic yeah, set. So there's no cha- distortion or feel. They placated the three or four songs from the album and made them purely acoustic. And um, some, look, I think for a bit of fun it was fine. But um, if you're a Butcher Babies fan, I think you better less listen to their album. I, I think. think so. I don't actually know what this came about. They, they, they think of some sort of Zippo lighter presented some musical guys. I think even. I think Slipknot there or Corey yeah. Taylor was there and stuff. So I don't know. It was a weird, weird like underground festival or something. It's quite, quite mm, interesting. Sepultura guitarist. We are living in a magical moment. A new drummer slash uh, this Eloy guy. His name is sorry. The new drummer. New management. Great relationship with the Nuclear Blast label. They have two of seventy eight countries. So you'd imagine Andreas Kisser and vocalist Derek Green are pretty pleased with themselves right now with Sepultura, and they are also touring Australia right now. So for those who want to see some. Uh, I guess a cover band. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, again, the same thing. Maybe JJ Finch got to talk about it. I said, I'm sure. It's like, oh, I'm sure just a cover band, man. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But again, we did review their album. It's a decent album. You know, these guys are playing some of your favorite songs from probably some of your favorite uh, times in, the, in your life. I mean, the Subture have been around for so long and these guys are feeling pretty blessed at the moment. And uh, well, I guess Gene Simmons can't say that uh, about these guys because these guys seem to be doing pretty well with themselves. Yeah, but true, they had like legacy behind them, and yeah. so that it's might be different. They came from a different time, but apparently they go. The band gets along quite well with each other. They, they work together as a group, and they're very harmonious, and which is quite surprising because normally bands are like uh, you always have a bit of conflict. But they seem to be living in a utopian society. Good luck to them. Who's not living in a utopian society? At least not to the fans right now. It's Guns and Roses. They had quietly removed a song for a reissue of the album. Um. The song itself is 
regarded by those in, I guess, the classic mainstream media as being racist and homophobic and stuff like that. However, we should talk about the song, Danny, because in essence, we can go through it ourselves and give our honest opinion of what that song actually sounds like to us and where it kind of sits in our kind of morality chain. So what did you think, Daniel, listening to this track? Oh, I, yeah, I read the lyrics of that um, album, of the, the article. And the first like line, it talks about um, something about immigrants and faggots. And he says, like, somebody comes to our country, starting their religion and blah, blah, spreading the disease and stuff. Yeah. And then the next... The next like verse in the thing talks about like cops and niggers. Like, that's that's the actual words they use. Yeah, and saying about again, yeah, trying to dynamics between those two pairings. Yeah. So, look in the late eighties, it was probably a fair um album song to write because in that time it was a lot of uh, fear regarding the AIDS virus in mm. America, which is to face a lot of people. I mean, immigrants is always an issue. People always get immigrants come there, start their own cultures. That's always there, and the tension between cops and African Americans was. Yeah, pretty pre- prevalent in the late '80s. Mm. So you can see that that was a song written for the times, mm. and a lot of thoughts and feelings reflecting the times, which is fair. But these days, it gets lost in the the, the era now. I when I read this uh, the song, and I can't remember what the song is actually called. Sorry, I really apologize for that. But um, I remember reading the lyrics and listening to the whole song, and it really feels like a tone of how a old white guy who's just oh, in the working class his whole life would talk unfiltered where it's like for me it doesn't feel like a racist um go at or a bigoted go at anyone it's literally like how your grandfather talks with dementia and i think like you said for the time it actually and the song itself has this kind of kiss vibe to it where it's kind of like that happy acoustic kind of thing so i think on its own it's not for me it doesn't feel like a racist homophobic song just because you use a word doesn't necessarily for me pertain to be um, a shot against the whole entire thing. In fact, uh, Axel Rose came out and said, why do certain people get to use a word and certain other people don't get to use a word? He's, he's a li- very much a libertarian when it comes to using language and if some people have the privilege of using a word and don't, I get that there's other things more complicated than that going around it, but this is his own words. And um, in a song, in an artistic format, well, you know, American History X depicts um, a character's acting as racist and that who's to say that it's not that it's okay for a artist to then go into that character's mindset and write a song through that lens isn't that itself um fine enough to do uh, i don't know i feel like people already made their mind up going yes and no already but i don't know i think there's a little bit more to it than just being racist and bigoted just by using the words that i think trigger a negative response regardless yeah, and exactly right. But these days and age, you can't think too much, Matt. You go, so, I know, no, right? I've gone way too much into this. equals two. That's enough. There's, look, 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 Matt, there's a, word, there's a dictionary of words you can say and words you can't say, okay? And these are all the words you can't say, right? Because they upset people. And if and if you can't put it, because you're Matt and you're like lucky because you have a podcast and stuff, so you earn more. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about some more stuff that we love talking about? Canadian Police Department. Your child is probably a neo-Nazi if he listens to heavy metal. Now, the Calgary Police Services are handing out leaflets, right? And it's called Science of a Child Being Part of a Hate Group. Now, we need to read out, we need to educate you people out there as to why your son or daughter, who's probably wearing a death metal shirt going to a college somewhere, is in fact a Nazi. 
You know, and this is what this parent probably read first. She probably, she probably read this leaflet and, you know, all the signs were there. That, you know, there were kids that were quiet, so obviously terrorists. Yeah. Wearing black metal shirts, obviously Nazis because they've been reading metal subs. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, how can they distinguish between a death metal and a black metal logo? It's oh, impossible. Yeah. I mean, you can't read the writing, so therefore... Same, same. How Hitler, right? <laughs> so let's talk about these massive points because I think our fans will get a really big kick out of it. Yeah. If, it also educates us to know if we know that someone's in a hate group in our local oh, community. Because so. we need to know this right public service announcement if your child is in group, involved in a hate group here are some early warning signs that may be a clip may I love these words may like yeah. they're so ambiguous yeah, and yeah. nonsensical that it's just like hmm. you can almost brand your door being you know yeah, yeah. part of the right sudden movement. interest in taste of water oh. sudden lack of interest at school oh yeah who what kid out there aka teenager yeah exactly <laughs> did not think that school was boring as bat shit like so, when you do something for like 10 or 15 years in a row and you hit a wall eventually, like who said, so there you go. There's one sign. Adopting new groups or friends and staying out late without any explanation. Teenagers going. <laughs> this is interesting. I really think that like some kids out there, so they could be like hanging out with really hot girls or deciding how to wipe out half the population yeah. of gay people. I mean, you just don't know. Yeah, it's hard these days. Violent or secretive behavior. Uh, violence, well, that's yeah. kind of like, well, if they're being violent, then I can kind of get behind that. That's but then that's yeah. your least your problems being a neo-Nazi yeah. and more that you have a, like a psychotic killer. Yeah. Secretive behavior. Uh, look, you might, teenagers, mate. Yeah. You might have a playboy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who knows? He might have the World War II historian book that he's actually using his lad Bible. Who knows? Yeah. Over hostility to parents, family, and disobedience and rudeness. Oh, man. Again, teenagers. I don't say It's just like a list, like hating on teenagers. <laughs> racist graffiti drawings and doodling. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, you shouldn't do racist graffiti. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, drawings and doodling. So, literally, it could be like one of those, like, you know, um, join the dot things. And it's like, is, like you know, those, um, those ink blotch tests? Yeah, yeah. So, like, if, if a psychiatrist goes, you know, I see... A black guy getting like, don't you see a butterfly? Nah, I see a black guy getting insulted <laughs> by a bunch of cops. Oh, okay. So, you know, th- there's that whole thing, there's you know, that. just 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 a doodle, Danny. Yeah, yeah go carefully, say. So. Uh, a marked repugnance to consider certain ethnic or religious groups as fully Canadian or even human. Interesting. Certain ethnic or religious groups as fully. Okay, all right. So yeah. that's nationalism. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 I guess if you're like anyone that's hot, like conservative to a degree, or yeah. further on, like you're. You're, that's actually interesting because that's, that's a lot of the media so yeah. you're calling the media not racist wearing or displaying Nazi propaganda and symbols <laughs> such as SWAT stickers iron cross military craving or paraphernalia I'm not trying to hide it now yeah now it's <laughs> yeah, like fair enough. if your son literally has a like an oven in the in the bottom of the basement and a bunch of balloons, he might be a Nazi. Well, that's that's probably cool I'll give him that one that's, that's, that's probably fair um, that was my list I think yeah so <laughs> Look, look, I hope you guys took a lot out of this because it's really important that you don't live with racists and just knowing that if anyone's quiet in your group and uh, doesn't like being told what to do and hates school, you need to call the police immediately and get the Calgary police because it feels like they're the ones trained enough to actually seek out danger, Danny. They're, they're advanced. The Canadians are quite advanced compared to the rest of the world and their social life. You just education. feel like Justin Trudeau was working alongside. <laughs> he, like, he wrote the book, gave it to the cops and they're like, and they're like, okay, we have to do this right because like we want to get paid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you just feel... Yeah. All right, let's finish a couple more stories before we move on to our podcast question this week. Richie Blackmore doesn't like Joe Satriani's playing. According to Joe... Uh, sorry, according to Richie Blackmore, Joe Satriani is a brilliant player, but I never see him really searching for notes. I never hear him playing a wrong note. Jimi Hendrix used to play a lot of wrong notes because he was searching all the time. 
where the hell is that correct note? And where did he find the right note? Wow, that's incredible. So in order to be a good player, you have to be a bad player. <laughs> Great, I'm awesome, man. <laughs> uh, Daniel, Daniel searches for notes all the time. <laughs> I like you need a Strauss, so I'm, I'm going to take over your job soon. Uh, look, I guess it's personal taste. I think Richie Black can go like, you know, Richie Black, I mean, Joe Satchani is a great player. He's just not for me, right? Yeah. This is quite an interesting way of going about, you know, he, he plays all the right things at the right time. That makes him a bad player or like a great player, but, you know, not yeah. to, uh, I don't know. I don't know what he means by that. I uh, guess we, we do critiquing all the time. So maybe our fans say the same about us. Um, what do you think, Danny? Well, apparently, yeah, he goes on to say because playing all the right notes at the right time makes me sound too mechanical and there's no heart in it. So if you make an error every now and then, it almost makes you human type thing. But like, that, yeah, that doesn't sound right. That's normally, it sounds like if he's playing a solo live and he plays some dead notes, it's different to like not playing the right notes. Yeah. If you're writing a song, you write the song to make it sound nice and flowing. You don't purposely write a song that have bad notes in it. So I think it's more to like, talk about his on-stage performance and on stage like Josie Hadrian must be so technically good that he always plays it technically well mm. and Richard Blackmore yeah he's known to like struggle sometimes live because lack of interest or mm. poor attitude seems like Eddie Van Halen it's yeah. more alcohol based but yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly like all good players or at least the ones that are still alive you know <laughs> but to be fair he also talks about Steve Morris and found Steve Morris is a good player and thought he's good that Deep Purple picked him up so it was quite nice for him to actually give compliments That's to um, awesome. his ex-band I've Surprise! I thought it'd be uh, uh, below him to say yeah, that. It'd be like, well, you know, you, you you did the best you can, kind of thing, like the whole Mean Girls thing, where they're all passive aggressive the whole time, but they're not. He's actually been pretty cool. Uh, Alice Cooper explains why male musicians have become very interviewed and anti rock star now, according to Alice Cooper, who is actually has Nita Strauss as the guitarist of the band. So we covered the same band twice. Go us. It's amazing that the girls are taking over the big productions and the guys have become very introverted. I don't quite understand why a young rock band would be introverted rather than, hey, I'm a rock star, let me loose, get me up there and let me rock that place. It must be all that male privilege that we've been ah, talking about the last couple of weeks, Danny. Yeah. But more importantly, what is he going on here? What is he actually saying here? Do you think male musicians have pulled back in the production and that? Or is right now the hottest thing is women doing their empowered struggle thing in front of you know massive amount of people with pop music as well being very much placating to that? Because pop music has always had divas that have... Um, you know, since Cher and all that doing their Madonna, you know, they've been having produ- big productions and playing in front of big crowds. So what's different, Danny? Oh, I, I mean, the, for, to be fair, the only people he's talking about are the big pop yeah, Lady Gaga. Yeah, Beyonce and Rihanna stuff. So they're yeah. not really, I really would call them rocks. Uh, I mean, rock stuff back in the day was like a person who trashed a hotel room, takes drugs, sex all the time, doesn't mm-hmm. sleep type thing. That's the rock stuff. What he's saying is more about just about stage performance only. Yeah. So it's not really being a rock star, it's about just having a good stage performance. And that's because they got a shite load of money behind them. Mm. I'm pretty sure, like Metallica still do it because they got a shite load of money, Foo Fires and Green Day, like he says. So I'm pretty sure if all these other bands had like $100,000 to spend on stage show every night, they would be spending on stage show every night that's to right. make it look better and grander. So I think it was a bit of a weird comment. I mean, some other people talk, I think it was another article a week or two ago where they're saying that the rock star is dead in the sense that people don't, aren't doing drugs anymore. They've got like PT trainers, yeah. they've got good diets, they're looking after themselves because I guess these days touring is so important. They have to do so much touring. They have to be in tip-top shape all that's the right. time. That's so right. I think that's more true about the rock star being dead. It's that, yeah, that lifestyle is pretty much a sign of the times. That's right. And like you said, it's going down to certain demographics as well and certain things, you know, dominated areas like a lot of the guys in the rock and metal and stuff and the, the girls in the pop in that moment. And maybe because it's what's selling, it's safe for the industry and maybe it's just changing like that. 
Um, I feel like there are guys, like you said, still doing that and giving it a go with the big productions, but at right at the moment, you can honestly say that, hey, if, if the teenage girls are throwing money at, at things like this to work, then that's what's, that's it, you know? Um, that's the way it is, I guess. But who knows? No, oh, well. Maybe we, maybe we need more like guys out there to start, you know, throwing bottles of scotch out of windows yeah. and stuff and setting fire to their hotel yeah. rooms, you know? Just so we can get back on the news. Oh, you can't do it though, because people are so like, protective and, and I, I get so easily offended, upset these days. That if a rocks ever came back again, they'll be shunned. Like, oh, you can't be yeah. that person. Get out of here. Yeah. All right. So we got one more story, maybe, Danny. We should talk about, um, I don't know, maybe X Kisses. Vinnie Vincent addresses rumors about gender identity. Yeah, we'll finish on with that. I think they love the mystique because they don't know. So maybe I'll say, I'll let you guys decide. Now, he's been changing his appearance lately. Is he a guy? Is he a girl? Does it matter? Does it matter? And also, he hasn't told us because he he keeps saying every time they ask him, "Have you decided to change your gender or dress up differently?" He goes, "Oh, it's a secret." I'm like, "Well, what the why?" Well, what he's doing, I can tell you right now, is getting ready to unleash all these answers in his very new book that's coming uh, out within a year. His yeah. autobiography. So this is all start up for him to make. Uh, the cash cow come rolling in and start going on with the talks. So I think it's quite intelligent what he's doing. You know, whether he's or isn't is really irrelevant because it's all going to come out in his book, which you'll get to pay 30 bucks for, I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good on that person, I guess. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it, it is a time. If you want to like make a statement like this, make money from it, this is the time to do it. Yeah. Again, I look, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this guy even is playing music anymore or he just needs somehow to make more money and this is his way of making more money yeah because Kiss <laughs> Kiss probably re-recording and rewriting their, all their old songs and whatever he has he's like let's not play those songs yeah, yeah that's you know, right let's make sure Gene gets the money you know <laughs> alright anyway let's move on to our podcast question this week how did you get into your favourite band it's a simple question really we want to know how it went from literally hearing one song to you then owning all their discography the, the merch, knowing where they live, knowing what they eat, and uh, finally getting to see them live and weeping unconsolably like a 13-year-old girl over you know the Kardashians or something. Mm. So what is, Danny, um, our fans' response first to how they got into their favorite band? Yeah, so we had a good response here. So thank you, everybody, who replied thank and gave us the answers. And it, it always, again, very, a lot of variation to how they got into their favorite band, which is always good because it's always better than just our bumped into like a poster in the bus stop and that was my favorite band from then on. So first off, we have Amy Carson because I looked up Lacuna Coil on YouTube after I found out they were going to be at Soundwave. Mm. So there you go. And Mechina, I randomly heard on Spotify when listening to a metal playlist. So there you go. Bit of random chance and a bit of good fortune there. Do you remember listening to certain bands that you got uh, that were touring and you checked out, Danny? I feel like... Mm, no. I mean... No, not really. I think when Soundwave came, I, I, I listened to one or two bands to see if well, yeah, who else you'd go see. I didn't really like get sold that oh, these guys are gonna be like my the next best thing to slice bread for me. So I remember uh, um, there was one band I checked out. Ah, uh, oh, damn it! It's gonna bug me that I don't know the. Um, uh, oh, it's a shame because uh, there's a band that that there actually um, that I wanted to check out because Iron Maiden were playing at the time, and I'm like, oh, look, I don't really like Iron Maiden. Who else is playing? So I found this band. And I'm like, cool. And I went to go see them instead. And they're like saying to the crowd, why aren't you guys seeing Iron Maiden? They're just right over there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I was like, no, nah, no way. And I, and I really liked the time. I'll remember the band later on. But um, yeah, I remember that was one of the times I was like, you know what? The, the sheer force of not having this to Iron Maiden was a driving factor for me <laughs> oh, to seek no. out other bands. So uh, what has we got, Danny? Yeah, yeah. So Luke Surda said Shane Ross Connolly was the reason it got into Meshuggah. 
in his car many moons ago. Never looked back since. It was on his random playlist. Can you name a band off the top of your head, Danny, that you got friends. through a friend? Well, that that was going to be my Oh, okay. So we'll answer that later. Yeah, cool. we'll answer that later. Thanks. <laughs> All right. No, was, I remember actually for me, one of my favorite bands at the time, Opeth, was actually introduced through a friend. I remember at the time I was hanging out with a mate from high school and he got me back into metal because back in the day, me and Danny listened to a lot of Rainbow, Deep Purple, and that from Dad. But then going through school, you know, it was very much like I didn't know any metalheads, and they so I got into a bit of dance music. Then mate got me into punk, and then I met a guy who got me back into metal with Metallica, Pantera, and that. But it wasn't quite what I was after. And lo and behold, I we applied for a drummer because we we're looking for a, just a band to do in our weekends because we wanted to do it. Met a guy, he brought over some CDs, and one of them was Opeth, and I was just like, just unbelievably overwhelmed that a band would have not only long songs but the acoustic sections that sounded very much in the romantic period but also death metal growls and some really tough uh, grooves as well and I just remember just like me as a kid having my whole world like it's like someone talking about you know like like an ultimate truth about like the reality you know like we're all gonna die go ahead and eat some cake and you're like wow you know that's so profound and, and so delicious so such for Opeth yeah good. that's a good story man um, next is Josh Rigby it's always because of the big brother, isn't it? Actually, not in my case, but... And Matt, you don't have a big brother, so... No, I don't case. actually, because that kind of <laughs> didn't work for me. But I had friends, and uh, like I just said before, um, they got me into some bands that end up being a big part of my life. I did buy every single Opeth album. At the time, Opeth albums, you have to understand, you couldn't get it from the internet, so you had to go to your local CD store... And they had to get them imported, and each CD cost me forty five bucks. Uh, you get them like next year as well. Yeah, they didn't come quick. Yeah, you know? so lucky for me now, I can get whatever I want from the band themselves for very cheap. But back in the day, man, I had to save up for these um, for weeks, and I was like, Opeth were the best. And couldn't I had buy to those. Do it. Yeah, couldn't buy those Pokemon cards. Yeah, or those D- basketball Dad bought cards. me a, uh, my Christmas present. He bought me an Opeth jumper, and it was forty degree weather. But I wore that shit every day <laughs> and sweated through it. It literally was overworn so much. Went from black to grey. And from a medium to an extra large jumper, it was just, oh, God, good times. Go on, Dan. Sorry, Yeah, go on, yeah. Uh, Next is Daniel Serdablad. Fatherly indoctrination introduced me to Pink Floyd. And I think the way he's phrased that sentence makes sense that, you know, he's a Pink Floyd fan because that's a bit too technical for just a simple (laughs) sentence. (laughs) Yeah, the old man showed me Pink Floyd. I was like, yeah, this is fucking sick, man. Thanks, Dad. Um, Same with you, Danny. You had the same kind of thing as well with uh, Deep Purple and Rainbow. Yeah, and and all that. So pretty much Dad and uh, older cousin as well. So that's how that came to. And it's fair enough. Why not? You're around it all the time. And an awesome record collection with amazing artwork as well. That was the whole thing. It came with the whole package. You had this massive... Like records back in the day had this big ass A3, it almost looked like a sign of the Satan coming out from hell and like, you know, laying waste to a bunch of zombies. And you're like, damn, this is so damn awesome. Then you hear the music, like, damn, this is so damn awesome. You know, you don't have a chance as a kid. Like, (laughs) when that much awesome happens, you have to just, you you have to go along for the ride or else overwhelmed and have your brain fall out and jump down the toilet, you know? Yeah. And then you can make an angry kid. No one likes that angry kid. He's he's trying to resist what he wants to be, just be who you're supposed to be. Yeah. Are the big or listen to Metal Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just t- pick one. <laughs> wow, okay. How about a dancer? No one's. <laughs> no, don't be a dancer. <laughs> don't be a dancer. Uh, this one next one. This is a spiritual one next. Ooh, play the creepy music. Uh, Megan Fassa Curley. Uh, as a kid, I had no real exposure to metal. Then, as a teenager, I had a dream and woke up with a message I have to listen to Metallica. So I did and fell in love and never looked back. Destiny. Now, the, the, I think the funny thing about, there's two things we could say, how you met your favorite band and how you found out about Metallica because everyone knows about Metallica and metal, right? Even then people who aren't metalheads know Metallica. They have branded themselves across the, the line. So I'd like to know, Danny, how did you find out about Metallica? <laughs> Actually, that was through you. Yeah, yeah. you um, 
I don't know how you found about it, but I'll ask you in a second. But yeah, yeah. I pretty much found it through you. I think you had uh, Killing uh, Master Pub's album and Rider Liney albums, the first two I heard from yourself. And I remember one time we were playing the Master Pub's album on our CD player, and probably our CD player was in the cabinet, and if you close the cabinet too hard, you just make the CD player skip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll blast him out so probably as loud as we could, and he just goes, obey, 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 obey. Yeah, anyway, so how did you find about Metallica? Yeah, it was from that guy I was saying before, the guy who at high school got me into it. He got me into the Justice uh, Justice for All album. Um, and yeah, obviously Master of Puppets and all the early stuff, along with Pantera and stuff like that. So I got to know Master uh, Metallica through a friend, for sure. Yeah, no, cool, man. Uh, yep, yeah, next one is, uh, I guess and everyone knows Metallica, you're right, yeah. Yeah. Next is a Shades Von Sinatra. It's always through a friend or when you date someone long enough, you get you get to hear their favorite artists. Mm-mm. Which is fair enough. Uh, good for him. Uh, some of those are good stories. Some are bad stories. Ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends. Because you ever feel like that if you find a band because of your ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, then it's kind of tainted if you break up bad. It's like, oh, I'm not that, yeah, that bad. That song shit. like triggers all those bad yeah. emotions like cheating bitch, you know, or whatever. Just like, just like we get like, really drunk off like a certain liqueur. So I'm not touching that liqueur anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel like shit. And yeah. so does what a blast beats or something. Now nah, they can never make you feel like shit. Yeah, and the last one's from Anthony Kuta. Yep. It's crazy because was told to look up bands but never did and found them on my own and wish I had looked them up because of how amazing they are. Yeah, that's right. So just doing it on your thing. And that's the thing. It's so easy these days to check out bands on your own. You can go to YouTube and spend hours there and like it will tell you bands you should listen to on the right-hand side or pretty much anything these days. They want your money or they want your time. So like, look, if you love this band, check out all these 20, yeah. 30 other bands because you know, while you're here, you might as well check it out. Yeah. So it's so easy these days to do it. And I've countless of many bands these days. Most of the, more the underground stuff I find is much easier to find through social media and through um, the internet than it is through friends because they're going to like their three bands and whatever. There's a lot of bands out and there. There's so many oh, bands. So ridiculous. Band. On independent labels or like recording in like friggin' uh, Island or something. Can you just yeah. like, how the hell are these guys going to you know, get to someone in Australia, you know, with one person in their basement. So Yeah. Or from like last week, we had a create a VK account, which is the Russian uh, Facebook account That's to right. find out the last band reviewed. So, obviously, many being ways. cousins, yeah, they're like, you know, Uncle Uncle Sam, Uncle, Uncle Putin's still watching them. So, uh, yeah. And it was a good album. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, let's talk about you, Danny. We wanted to find out from yourself how you got to find out about your favorite band. Yeah. So, like we, we mentioned quickly, so Theo and Deep Purple and Rainbow, kind of like collective there. We all found out due like dad and older cousin Fab, which is which was great. So, that, that was simple. You just listen to it all the time. You just love. There's a bit of familiarity familiarity to it a bit of nostalgia but also great music so that's kind of a winner uh the other one was um symphony x was through your mate trav mm, that's right so one day um matt's mate came over brought us a bunch of cds we played symphony x of the odyssey i first time i heard i didn't think too much of it i heard it again i think he left a cd with us i yeah, heard it and i thought this is great and ever since then i got hooked to him so thank you for that guy yeah absolutely it was funny that because he um he was the guy for us because he got us back into it. He's, he was he was very lucky. He had a very uh, a well family, and he spent all that money right and buying heavy metal stuff, guitars, amps, and all that. I think since then he moved on and doesn't listen to metal anymore, which is a sad sad point. But he did his job and got us into uh, some bands and was a gateway for us. For me, obviously, everyone knows Nevermore was my favorite band. But how it came to be yeah. was actually an interesting story. A friend of a friend at the time was a massive, massive Nevermore fan and I'd never heard of him at the time. And when I did hear at his house, I thought it was quite weird. We'd make fun of the singing and stuff with my other mate and we didn't quite understand it. But 
eventually I just thought, you know what? This guy loved the band so much, I'm going to give it a try. So when the Godless Endeavor album literally came out that year, I actually bought that album and I thought, you know what? Like it was everywhere in JB Hi-Fi at the time. You walked into the store and you know, it was actually all in the top and stuff. They like, were really pushing this album. So I'm like, well, maybe I'm just not getting it. So I took the album home really gave it a good thrashing and I that was when I got it. I'm like, dude, everything about this is phenomenal. Um, his performances, uh, the vocal lines worked really well. I started to understand what Warrell Dane was doing and then hearing Jeff Loomis in his element writing that some of the heaviest riffs I ever heard with some of the sickest guitar work. The combination was just brilliant. Um, the funny story with this, I ended up obviously loving the band, buying all their discography and I went to, back to the guy. I said, look, thank you so much, man. Like, I get it. I never more. And I said, have you heard the Godless Endeavor album? And he's like, no. I'm like, why not? I'm a Christian. The album says Godless Endeavor. I can't listen to that because <laughs> no. it has the Lord's name in vain. And I'm like, no. you are not going to listen to the best heavy metal album ever written by your favorite band because of some janky fucking religious overtones that you put through it. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, wow. So I've taken the mantle from him and now I'm just telling everyone else about it where he had to stop because pure lifestyle decisions had decided for him that uh, he was not going to be able to enjoy. Even though the album is not so much a defamation against God, but more the pursuit of, well, we can't see you, we can't hear you, but we're all dying because of you. Like, you want to give us some help over here? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, and the frustration and literally the amount of um, uh, just literally giving up on the whole thing. And uh, I thought he'd really understand that, really kind of give it. Like, you know, I thought you'd see the irony in that, but he didn't. And he was happy to kind of let it go. And uh, with that, I'm like, well, I'll just be the number one, never, ma- never more martyr than four. Yeah. That's well, right. I guess I'm not really a martyr, but one day I might be. So, yeah. <laughs> You're going to kill yourself to like a Nevermore song. Well, yeah. I just imagine the Christians out there are like, you know what? We can't have you using the Lord's name in vain anymore. Yeah. Our poor friend over here is traumatized by you having to push the album on him. I'm like, dude, you got to listen to the album. So, there you go. That's that is a shame. That, and that is a real shame that people use their like beliefs to get away from saying, which doesn't actually contradict their beliefs. It just uses but he, things differently. But he had no problem with Poison God Machine yeah. and all that. You know, all the other stuff before he... The Moral Dane always had this attack against it, you know, even though it wasn't so obvious. But um, it was just that one album title with one track. And even though the other tracks aren't necessarily around that, it was just enough for him to do it, so... Oh, look, in the end, that's... Look, if that, if that makes him happy at night and sleep at night, well, that's his choice. But imagine all the great things you miss in life. Oh, that's well, like saying, like, Slayer, like, Tom Arreo, he's actually a, a Catholic, and he sings the song, God Hates Us All, because I think it's just a good song. And yeah. like, that's what it is. And that's what it comes down to. You don't, you don't, and that's what you have to believe it. You just think it's a good song, it's catchy, and it's different types yeah, of meaning. Yeah, you touch and move by all those airwaves smashing against each other and creating some sort of metal bliss. But with that, you know, that's just the way it is, and uh, it's all, it's all going to be fine in the end. I'm sure he's found other bands that he can love, just not as much as Nevermore. So let's Probably mo- Creed. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on to our feature presentation this week, the CD review. Now, I just realized I said CD review, but it's album review. I mean, you can listen to this format in so many ways. Mostly people are going to listen to this from the net, streaming the thing live, or they might even go ahead and buy the album. comes on LP, vinyl, whatever. Um, whatever. Oh, yeah, have you seen the uh, what they've released? Like, Demi Borg is massive into releasing uh, 
a collectible one-off like album covers. This one here, you can buy like oh the amount of money you can spend on buying every different version of this album cover or release is yeah. amazing. It's brilliant, and that's where the money lies, isn't yeah. it? Really, you know, not only have they changed their sound over the years to be more commercial, so have they adapted their business model? Because <laughs> oh, um, what black metal bands would normally do is be if you're popular, then that's not black metal, and in nah. itself, you know, where the whole extremists would be like, you know, bad production. No, just keep it really raw in the production keep uh, everything very like on the low level and stuff like that that way it remains it's like air of mystery around it but these yeah. guys are anything but mysterious you oh, know yeah. they're happy to do interviews and talk about the philosophies on the album and stuff like that and like you said sell merch through the ass like they they will sell the same thing in 17 million different ways because at the end of the day it goes straight to their pockets and like you know what that's the way it is you know Metallica have been doing it for years you know Kiss it you can buy it Anything from toilet paper to air guitar to strings. air guitar strings, you know. So it's not it's not an unusual thing in our capitalist uh, society. But let's talk about the album uh, before we get any more sidetracked. Let's talk about Ionian. Now this is the tenth release. You could say ninth because they re-released Stormblast twice. They re-recorded it, which is basically like saying uh, the fans going, "Well, we didn't like the album, but they're like, well, it's a great album. You just need to hear it again in a better way." And pretentious, possibly pointless. I think so too, but it happened. Um, this one in particular, there's been a while. I think it's the first album in eight years, which is actually an interesting uh, thing because in between that gap, there hasn't really been other side projects, especially from Golda. He left Old Man's Child in that gap and that's really been it for him. And so the band's happy just to have been doing a lot of touring, bringing symphonies in with them, literally yeah. doing gigs, you know, having the money to pull that off just shows you where these guys are right now as being... Pretty much, I'd imagine on top of the black metal um, charts. Whether you, this album is a black metal album, though, is up for debate. Well, that's fair enough as well. We saw them come down to Soundwave as well, which was great. In the full like full kits, full oh. makeup, and like the 35, 40 degree sun. I was like, ugh. Yeah, they were, they were very much. And they, they really give a different look for every hour. And this album is no different. They've changed their look once again as well. And their sound, they have evolved. They've taken the symphonic elements much more seriously. And I think that when they first started, they were very much a black metal band with symphonic elements. Then they got in the middle around Puritanic, El Sorte and that kind of era. They went very much with a death metal inspired, more harder and heavier. But with Abrahadabra and this album particularly, they really are symphonic to the end where choirs have really stepped up, um, almost overshadowing the Shagareth uh guitar lines and riffing now is pulled back to have more um, happiness and divisiveness between the darkness and the lightest as well. But let's talk about this album before we get too far into spoiling our end up result for it. Um, straight off the bat, Danny, we want to talk about the unveiling, the first track, classic. We've got the you know instrumental kind of thing at the start, but then a tremolo thing, which is actually pretty cool. Going into this nice transitions with piano and guitar, and it's all sounding fairly interesting so far. It really did catch my attention more than other albums. Yeah, the, the classic symphonic black metal thing where you start with the slow orchestration because oh. that's what you have to do to set the tone of the album. It's like, you know, when you go to the that's orchestra right. and they're tuning up the instruments, you always need that in the start of the album. And what they've done as well, they've actually made it part of the first song. It's not like it's a separate individual intro track. No, this is the first track, it's the little slow orchestration into the riffing and into the song so classic classic that shows the experience Matt that's an experienced yeah. band showing experience team. you gotta love what they've done there Jim that's right <laughs> symphonic middle section this is where you're really starting to get the focus of the change of the guitar being 
uh, more, I think, with an atmosphere, I, I find the similar stylings. Obviously, being with Zimmy Bilboggy right now, and I feel like this track here really is taking off from Abradabra in that sense. Even Shagra's to the point here, it feels like the choir is really taking control of some of these sections, and he's kind of stepped back as well. Uh, production obviously being amazing, and um, yeah, it's the ending though itself is pretty tough with some pretty heavy guitars. Yeah, it goes a bit evil with the ending, getting a bit slow descending lines, a bit of a synth fill in there, which is good, helps create the atmosphere. So it's all about atmosphere. Yeah, and that was the thing. I thought that the first track kind of nailed it straight off the bat. It really gave you a strong transition from obviously the previous works, a good build up, but also retained just a little bit of that Demi Borgia style with International Interdimensional Summit. Now, this song is track two, we had a film clip released with it. Yeah. It's interesting. Gold is acting all weird in it. <laughs> he does look weird. Huh? He looks so he's weird, doing. man. He, the way he looks at his guitar, and he's like, ah, "I'm gonna eat you." Yeah, I know. He finds it delicious. He's, he finds his own playing delicious, and yeah. I, times I do too. So I, maybe I look at him the same way as he looks at his guitar. Um, the intro is very dancey and catchy and memorable. Yeah. Like, da 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 da. Like yeah, da da da. Even the verse is cool. I, I actually like pretty much the first third, a little bit in the middle, and the ending to the song. It has a very interesting change day, which goes very happy, which. Feels like a tone the album does a lot where it goes into almost a Viking metal kind of mm. thing where it's like very happy, triumphant. And I was figuring out like, what is it that this album is doing? And I figured out what it is, but I'll tell you at the end of the um, okay. thing. So I know what the uh, the reason is for me. But uh, Danny, what did you think of this track overall? I thought they were going to be on Eurovision with this track. <laughs> they did go Eurovision with it. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, too, it, it's very, the chorus is happy it's not like dark and gloomy it's actually really catchy and picks you up and and the phrasing of the singing is actually quite good it's actually quite again it's quite catchy the vocal stylings in the chorus particularly are awesome it's very syncopated and it's very interesting how it all comes together and it's very tense it's 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 also very a surprise that these elements all combine together to be an enjoyable experience it's very strange to hear such a uh, an interesting evil riff to uh, melodic death metal um, uh, verse kind of style. Or I guess the intermediate, the middle section of it, where it changes, it goes in between both so frequently. And I don't know if it's jarring because it kind of works to a degree. But I do really like it when they stick with that evilness though to it. And I think the happy parts, hopefully, will get more fleshed out as the time goes on because it feels a little weird. To have yeah. it was it was different. So it was right at the start, at the start of the song was so again slightly aggressive and like heavy type, toughish, and then to get not stripped back, but just go into it, the happier tone and stuff. And the middle goes quiet and brooding and slows yeah. down a bit, but then it cuts back into the happy style chorus again. So it it was interesting because the first song was a bit more slow and a bit more pacing, a bit more thothic, and then the second song comes this happy. Ah, yay. It does feel like the band is pushing themselves and they really are giving you... I find that with every Edimia album, you do get something bigger and better or, or something different or they're trying to ambitious, uh, be ambitious with their writing. And this is definitely no different. I'm going into, uh, I guess it's uh, Etheric, I guess, the A and the E. I think it's just an E, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, it's that weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, a nice little bit of a headbanger this one here with some tasty hi-hats going on with a very much I feel like a black metal intro. And there's a change into that happy style in the middle again with that melodic death metal kind of intertwinedness in it all. Big or happy orchestrations as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, the melodies are there. They are. They do resonate with you and there's lots of different different instrumentation as well. But again, it's like that's that's the way that Demi are now, I feel. And they're yeah. like, this is the way the songs are going to be. Yeah, they're big with the orchestration and the choir in the middle, very angelic and epic in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah, then they... They slow down again, but then they increase that pace with that ultra to again give that 
grandness, but then it gets a bit of at the end with a bit of a groove riff finishing it off. But I think it's the same groove riff they might have started with and they kind of end with, which is quite nice. Yeah, they throw even more ideas at you with the Council of Wolves and Snakes, the next track being a track they also released a film clip for, which I didn't really care for on release because it was very much even more about extremeness of different riffs and variations and styles where it'd be bombarding you with blast beats and tremolo picking and stuff like that, but also has this interesting voice of indigenous influence with this throat singing kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, the throat singing. The whole like African like chanting and drum beats in the middle of it all. I think it's supposed to be like a full like storytelling song. This one. Yeah. So you go through different elements. You you go back to with the, again a bit of talking and brooding stuff. You mix it with the um, tribal messages and stuff. So I don't know what story they're telling though. Uh, I don't know because yeah. I find that with Scimitar, uh last week, I don't know something about that felt like I could kind of drive a story out of it. I don't even know what they were talking about. You know, but this one here yeah. was like. It does feel like a story. It does feel like there's a lot of parts moving here as well. And the transitions are very... Uh, they're just very different from each other. But they all come together, I guess, in a point where it seems to go he's enough to a degree. Do you find that these, uh, this song does um, join together well enough? Or do you think it's just a little too ambitious? Oh, I've only heard it twice. And yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't really overly sold on this song. Being, yeah. Um, being a complete... Package, but really. I like the tremolated riff at the start. It's oh, kind of yeah. cool. The ending again is awesome. Yeah. It combines all these elements, and there are parts and that black metal section in the middle where it's more classic with the blast beat and stuff. That sounded pretty heavy. What about Lightbringer though? Oh, sorry, the Imperial Phoenix. Sorry, Phoenix. Imperial Phoenix. Yeah, uh, the Perigeos in the intro are really awesome. Uh, the cycling through these riffs pretty cool with some nice drum transitions as well. Um, I feel like this has some good moments though. I think this is a very much a mixed bag again, um, but. The ending again, an awesome ending. These guys do take very much a focus towards their endings being actual endings, so it's good. Yeah, and more variety of the um, production work here. It's like a bit of a white noise, a water type feel in the middle mm. with the choir. Uh, you got a tough rocking intro as well, which goes into like which is a bit of a classic thing to do. Uh, yeah, again, nice use of choir again, orchestration again used in the middle, helps, I guess, break up the song and then takes the flow, create a bit of epicness coming into it. Uh, I think they try to create a bit of tension in the song as well, yeah. which is, I guess, playing higher and faster. It gives a bit of that, um, a bit of work. It's, it's, I mean, highs are like just the ting ding 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 like the tinging of the guitar noise to give that bit of tension and yeah. aggression to it. So, yeah, so again, mixing of all the things, mixing of different feels and tones to help create the um, song. Yeah, so Lightbringer comes in now uh, around the 25 minutes into the album and we got a sweet intro riff. I really like yeah, that yeah. harmonics uh, sitting nice uh, right in there. Double kicks in this harmony sound really nice in the intro and stuff like that. It does feel like it jumps into what feels like another song, but it comes back to it really well, the intro riff again as well with that really sweet intro groove. So even though the intro kind of does it and it sounds awesome, it kind of stops, goes into the song, it comes back to the intro later on pretty well. Um, again, follows very much a happy transition key change with sounding, sounding far more, much more like would come out of Gothenburg than one that would come out of Norway, but going into another evil riff. So it feels like these guys are really pushing themselves into kind of combining very much different emotions and very much contrasting emotions, but seeing it work together. Yeah, I mean, this is the, probably the, the first song we hear like a really tough, tough riff off the yeah. album. So you get that start and they always repeat at the end. But right, it is a mixture of that tough riff and then they go into that galloping tremolo stuff and then, yeah. then it's the chorus is that weird, happy, sad type moment. Yeah. So you're like, oh, how do I feel? 
So they got a lot of that. But again, I think this is this is a good song for the album. One of the, one of the good better ones. I am sovereign. Uh, the Middle Eastern keyboarding is at the start very exotic. Yeah. You know, uh, broken tribute palmy is very interesting with the pianos though. Very cool little um, use of uh, groove there that was done really well. Um, big sounding song with some nice touches. The orchestration again being very much prominent with guitars and strings, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it got some uh, groovy sections. Got some nice faster throat things. Uh, and the song. Feels for me more as a depressing emotive one as well, and closer to what I'd expect from classic Demi Borgia. I feel like this album really encapsulates that uh, kind of darker style that mm. uh, was really well with the band, and the ending of the song suits it really, really well. For me, one of my favorite tracks off the album. Yeah, and that's good. They, again, being the song called I Am Sovereign, they kind of start with like a march feel, so you have a feeling, again, maybe it's like a nationalistic type song, yeah. a pride song. And in the middle there, they have like, with Power was a bit stripped, they go a bit more brooding and stuff they have like a canon effect so you're thinking maybe this is like a march into war type song so again they're trying to create I guess that feel and that tone but again you're right it has a lot of those feels and emotions and breaking it up a bit with those different styles of music you know again the slow stuff the fast stuff the heavy stuff a bit of the orchestration there as well so now it's good again yeah another good song I think it starts, yeah, it starts to like pick up a bit the album near the end as well I you agree know? Yeah, yeah I feel like I started to enjoy it even more with Archaic uh, com- Correspondence being the next song uh, much more of a classic Demi uh, riff entering into the song. Sounds much more things from like albums like Death Cult Armageddon uh, era as well. Industrial section in the middle does oddly fit. <laughs> uh, and more Riftopia with the El Sorte puritanical slash kind of um, influence as well. Guitar work is definitely more pronounced and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. They actually used a bit of melodic vocals for the first time of this, so I'm not sure if they got a song He, he used that in other albums, uh, yeah, especially Abracadabra. He used that at the end, so he's done it before. Um, but yeah, it's the first time for the album, and it was, I guess, welcome. He's not a bad singer. He's oh, got a, naturally a good, a good screamer, great screamer. Um, yeah. I think he used to play drums back in the day, but his transition to uh, working with vocals is actually fairly well for him and it did really well yeah I feel like there's like a xylophone used in this song I'm not sure but feel like oh it's song. probably an effect or something yeah, like that yeah that's different and then this was a bit different again because th- instead of using the, the choir they've done it's actually like a female choir but just female choir and all in the higher I guess soprano range or whatever the higher range is which is good because they also use that to again the higher female like screeching is really like intense building and they also have a bit of a key change with they singing in the last chorus which again helps bring in that like wow this is very powerful yeah. very scary top yeah agreed so again they're breaking up they're trying to change it up a bit they not are. just like let's put the choir let's use the same tone so and going into the next song alpha aeon omega what a great name for a combo move in in marvel vs. <laughs> exactly, capcom yeah. <laughs> alpha aeon omega wow that, that's like level three shit man that's like it. wipe out ryu with that uh, feels like more of the album, uh, but more of a focus of a bigger feel. Um, no, I didn't really have much else to say though. The ending again is the very coolest part and the heaviest part of the album, a part of the side of the song. Intense drum work in it, and um, yeah, it, it was okay. I didn't really remember too much though. I did kind of phase out of this one a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, again, similar notes there as well. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a melodic chorus, it's apparently quite good. And different here starts with a bit of a horn section and a string section to get to just yeah. change it up a bit as well. So, and they end the album with an instrumental, Rite of Passage. Uh, could be what would work in a Disney movie. I do imagine myself hearing this for an epic um, meeting with uh, the uh, main uh, antagonist of the movie. Um, but it's very much a nice song. Mm. Uh, the piano it, section. It feels nice. far more involved in a Nightwish 
<laughs> I mean, uh, than a um, thingo. It, I think it actually does need a bit of floor yance and maybe singing over it for a final layer just to give that far more poignant, uh, poignant whatever it is, and powerful. It's nice, it's emotive, but it's an interesting way to finish the album. And what I feel is kind of like a very happy note, I guess, or yeah. triumphant note. I don't know. It's um, maybe a sweet note, maybe. Rite of Passage is definitely like the Rite of Passage to getting to Disney, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're trying to broaden horizons. Yeah. You rule uh, Disney. So, overall, this album, actually, I thought I wasn't going to like it at all. i got to be honest, I didn't really dig the way uh, Demi were going lately. Abra had Abra only had, for me, two or three solid tracks and when they're the most awesome like Ritualist or some of the other songs off earlier it was really good but the other I don't really care for too much a lot of symphony but a lot of just times where I'm looking at my watch going like you know when's it's going to be uh, more, more interesting I did yeah. get into Puritanical though with the, more that kind of stuff and El Sorde but again I I did always lament that I wasn't hearing an old man's child album listening to Demi Borgi which wasn't doing enough for me in an emotional sense but this album for some reason kept me going to the very end and I was like curious to hear what they would do next just because I thought they were doing um, a lot more with what they have and uh, for a band that's using the symphony now and, and having ample amount of time for it to release this album I thought they did quite well with it yeah exactly right. oh, again I was a bit nervous as well based on just right thoughts and feelings more yeah. than anything else and in track one well, it was a bit too slow a bit too methodic for me I thought oh no it's going to be like this the whole way through yeah. but no nah, it doesn't there's a lot of change variations to make it a dynamic album and make you intrigued and interested in it yeah i didn't feel like this is an extreme symphonic metal album i feel like it is a symphonic metal album with black metal undertones though like the, they are holding on to that black metalness because without it it would no longer feel like demi bulgear at all but they are really moved away from it just being about the darkness and about the heaviness or the riffs especially in the middle part of their thing um it does have um, some problems that Abra have is sometimes I did kind of fade out, especially with um, tracks like uh, Council of the Wolves and Snakes. And then, like you said, the first track as well, The Unveiling. I was a little bit worried that it was going to be a bit of a, oh man, like when is the awesome going to happen? Because sometimes when they get into the real evil sounding thing, it's not as awesome as you think or groovy. Yeah. But in this particular album, they were, most of the time it actually did kind of hit those buttons for me. Yeah, I did. It did break up enough. Again, it is a bit of a style thing. They try and stick to the black metal style, which is more slow and brooding and atmosphere building. But and there was enough times where they would crack in like a nice chunky riff, like track six and track yeah. eight to help. And even some nice melodies in track two and a bit of a track three to help you, um, yeah, be, be intrigued a bit more dynamic, which I, is good. I find that now, go to go into what I was talking about before, the band seems happier. And the reason why for that is I figured out that or found out that the, all the band members have kids now. So over the last eight years, uh, they've been being good parents and bad musicians, wow, that's, <laughs> which that's is not a bad point. thing. Don't yeah. get me, don't get me wrong. Like I'm actually happy that these guys have their priorities straight, but that there, I think has an influence in their songwriting and that has carried over to it. I, I believe, um, there is sure there is about growing as musicians and stuff like that and doing something different. But I think they could have done something different by being heavier or whatever, or doing something else, you know, but this was for me, the triumphness and that is really about being, I think, happier people. And it brought in those cool sounds that made Demi Borgi themselves, but also bring that in. So this was for me, the, I think the direction that Demi Borgi will be going in from now on making scores that will fit more in a, uh, action adventure RPG uh, that maybe will fit in uh, Satan's uh, library, but it in itself is interesting. It's it's going, it's pushing forward, and it's doing something fresh and new. 
and um, to someone in a band doing it for 20 years, since 1995, I feel like this is an album they should be proud of. It's actually a pretty decent record. Yeah. Will it feature really high on our list? I don't know by the end of the year, but it wasn't one that I hated listening to it. Yeah, that's true. I, I agree. I mean, one of the issues with this album being the songs being more about storytelling, so many different parts, etc. It's hard just to like put on the album just to listen to one song and get you like, yes, awesome, and that's it. You really feel like you have to listen to like a couple of songs or be in a mood to listen to the songs. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, that's, that's what they're going for. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the style they're going for, and that's that's fine. That's oh, fair. yeah, I remember like with Puritanical and Ensorte, like you said, you can listen to the tracks off the album and just be free awesome. Like, you're like, damn, that's an awesome riff. That's an awesome song, rah, rah, rah. And just pick your favorite tracks out of it. But this one here does feel like a whole package and a very much focus of like those symphonies and those choir are taking over the role, man. Even Shagrath gets pushed back in the mix so you can really get those 17 girls singing about whatever they're singing about. Some, some Latin bullshit. <laughs> yeah, some Latin stuff. Yeah. But it, it, it really feels like they're, and they're, all those elements are really pushing it further and further away from being a black metal record. And like you said, more happy for like it to enter to Eurovision, which will help their appeal. And I think it might help them get into the more of the mainstream as well. Get some of those fans into those um nightwish bands you know all those kind of yeah. power ballady um deathy not the deathy band goth, you know so goth, yeah, goth metal and stuff yeah. it really kind of feels like they can take those symphonic metal fans from those other areas as well yeah hey why not when that's look in the end you get older you change your sound that's right and I, and and by all means like it's a decent album you know i i i I've seen it get two stars and I've seen it get uh, four or five stars for some fans. Some people think it's the best and the worst. I get it because it really is polarizing. They've put their, drawn a line in the sand like, you know what, um, we've we've taken the Abrahadabra's thing and gone even more commercialized sound with it. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're selling out. I just feel like they've made it even more engaging to fans by having melodies and that that are far more uh, happier and catchier than uh, previous works. Yeah, and definitely effort with these choirs like if you pull up yeah. to the traffic lights you start playing these choir things people are like whoa is it like Vikings coming yeah, in there? exactly yeah exactly right oh. and anyway that brings us to the words of Demi Borgia mid in illusion lost in the master's game silenced by the idea of time nurtured with lies and deceit hmm. well at least it sounds when you read it like a Demi Borgia album <laughs> uh, with that we're at the end of our Super Metal podcast uh, thank you guys for listening this week uh, enjoyed it immensely what did you guys think about Demi Borgia's album? Feel free to head over to our Facebook account, facebook.com forward slash supermetalbros and leave a like or a comment or whatever. And just let us know if you guys want us to cover another album or uh, a new story in particular or whatever. We are got a couple of interviews coming up lately, um, which we're getting into. We've had a lot of requ- uh, some requests from bands in particular that want to get on the show. So we're going to bring you some more of that and um, all the good stuff coming up, Danny. Yeah, definitely. So stick tuned for... Um some good times yeah we're on iTunes as well we're on SoundCloud so feel free to head over there and uh, yeah just leave us a like whatever you gotta do and um, and with that uh, yeah I guess we're at the end of our show thank you guys for listening catch you next week I am Super Metal Brother Matt I'm Super Metal Brother and get ready for the Super Metal Brother's birthday in a couple of weeks <laughs>